Stay tuned for The Lynn Show. Today, I'm airing an interview I did with composer, educator, philosopher, Stephen Miles. In this first part of the interview, Stephen will talk about the unusual way in which he pursued these career objectives. It's a very interesting and unusual story. So hang on, here comes the show. Hearing from an inner voice Finding choice where there's no choice With gentle prodding from the voice Oh, you really can Deeper, deeper down person you really are, not the person you think you have to be or that other people are, not even the person you may currently think you are, but the person you really are. Unfortunately, so many people have experiences in their childhood which discourage them from being the person they really are. In my show, I interview people who make their living or their life with an art, because when you listen to them, you can hear what it sounds like to be who you really are. And in my interview with Stephen Miles, you hear from a man who is not typical and who honored everything about who he is to become the person he really is. In the first part of my interview with Stephen, you will hear him talk about his early life, his discovery of music, 
his commitment to being a musician, and the wildly unconventional path he took so that he could become the musician he wanted to be. Here now is part one of my interview with Stephen Miles. Okay, so I am here with Stephen Miles, who is the director of New Music New College and a professor of music at the college. college. Right. right. Okay, good. I'm explaining to Stephen that I interview people who make their living or their life with an art. Mm -hmm. And I think it's fairly safe for me to guess that the art to which you are giving your life and making your living is music. (laughs) Yes. Okay, good. So I only have one question. And it is, can you tell me the very first moment in your life when music called you, spoke to you, drew you, any of that? When I was two, my family had a small record player, mm-hmm. as we would call them then. Yes, it didn't right. even qualify as a stereo. It was just this little device, and you know, you could start it up. And you know, I so wanted to play records that I figured out how to get it down on the floor where I could. Oh, you're kidding! Do this, yes. So anyway, so so yes, I, listening to music was really, really important for me when I was a kid. When you were listening, mm-hmm. were you thinking, "I really want to do that"? Well, I think that listening, there's this, I think there is this connection where if you enjoy listening, uh, it's very likely that you would enjoy making music <laughs> as well, particularly if you're a kid. And my, my mother sang, my father played the piano, my sister took piano lessons, um, somewhat, what, grudgingly, she really didn't enjoy it. Um, and I wanted to play an instrument. And I think, you know, the first instrument I was interested in, don't ask me why, was violin. And my father said, oh, you know, I can just imagine what it's going to be like to hear, you know, brashing and all that. <laughs> right. So he said, no, not the, not the violin. I said, well, how about the drums? <laughs> and that, again, was like, you know, it was going to add too much chaos to the house. So then I asked, and then I said, well, what about the guitar? And my father, who was a very frugal man, um, realized that, well, first of all, it's soft, so that's yes, fine. Right. We're not talking electric guitar. This is just going to be an acoustic right. guitar. But he took me to what was the equivalent in that day of a Kmart. <laughs> and you could buy a, you know, a guitar for like $10 or something. Wow. And, and it came with an instructional booklet. <laughs> so he bought that for me and sort of said, you know, go to town, have a field day. And so I did. I learned from the book initially. My family moved around a lot. And so I went to many different schools. I was not, I did not like school when I was really, really young. And I was always in danger of being held back a grade. It was a very sad story. But, uh, but then when I started playing the guitar, that was the first thing that I found that if I spent time doing it, I got better. Wow. And so I spent a lot of time doing it. And, you know, in a, in a basement room. And, yeah, on you your know, own. On my own. But and, and again, this is the book. This is the book, and I think it had a little record or something with it, you know, that came with it. My parents could clearly see that I was getting very interested in this, and so eventually it was like, well, if he can do this much... With this thing. With this, <laughs> with this very cheap instrument and a record and a book, um, maybe we should find someone to give him lessons. Right. So then you know, I took lessons privately. And, you know, it, was, it was just immediate for me. My sister was taking lessons, and... And she would come home and practice things. These would be really simple pieces by Mozart or something. And she would have trouble with them. But I could sit down at the piano after she got up and play it by ear. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. So, was, which also made it kind of disgusting for her because it's like, you yes, know, yes. here I'm working and he can do this easily. So I think it was it was just really clear that that for me music came very easily. Yes. And um, and then music as a for as a child because again we moved around quite a bit and. If you played the guitar in the 60s, mm-hmm. oh, you yes, had immediate you social capital. Yes, right. right. Yeah, that's right. So, so you start taking lessons, and then you mm-hmm. get better, and sure. then you play in rock bands. Sure. I started so playing when? professionally yeah, at 13. 13? Professionally? Mm-hmm. Really? Yeah. Well, no. I mean, don't, don't get me wrong. No, no, I know, I understand. The, no, but you, you got paid for it. I mean, you guys, sure. you, you were yeah. in a band, and yeah. you got you played dances or something, right? Right. Wow, amazing. Okay, so... I mean, I was with older older kids. Oh, 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 how did that happen? Well, um, you know, I, I guess word got around, there was this new kid who played the guitar well, and these older kids heard me and said, well, would you play with our band, you know, and we, we played dances and this kind of thing. And so, well, you must have been sure, tickled to death, sure, right? Sure, yeah. sure, it was great. So I started playing in bands when I was 13, and was I was interested in, in you know, all kinds of of rock, but a lot of it really more soul and R&B, that kind of thing. But then when I got into high school, I started in the choir, and that's really where I got more exposed to classical music. Okay, so that is where you first hear classical music, really, right? Mm-hmm. Most of my experience of classical music was either through singing in choir and or through recordings. If your parents are listening to jazz and you're listening to rock and roll... Yeah, well, I'm just curious. You know. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, I think this is the way a lot of musicians learn. I sort of went into classical music in a backwards kind of way. On the one hand, singing madrigals and think that's like Renaissance music. Yeah. But the first piece of instrumental classical music that really interested me was the Rite of Spring. Mm. And I think for anyone who plays rock or something, I mean, just the, the rhythmic uh, intensity of that piece is so powerful. And so I got interested in Stravinsky, and then, then you sort of work backwards. So it's, you know, kind of, or maybe from both ends. I had the Renaissance stuff for the vocal, and then working backwards with Stravinsky. Yeah, so that was how that started. But, you know, I think records at that point were the, the role that they played in, in not just in American society, but in, in, in Europe globally. Um, the fact that you could have access, yeah. pretty easy access, to music that would be maybe never performed in your city or town. Or, or your lifetime. Exactly. <laughs> you know, yeah, right. um, and you, know, you really could explore your, your interests pretty widely. So um, where were you getting these records? Sometimes it's just from a like, discount record store. Even places, the equivalent of Walmart, would sell records. And I, I still can't believe that you could buy an Elliott Carter recording at the equivalent of a Walmart. It's like, who is ordering this for them to sell? <laughs> Did they just know there's some kid out there who is suddenly right. really in- interested in all this music? One of the things that's important about that is that it's my um, initial experience of classical music um, was uh, very different from, say, someone who maybe studied the piano mm-hmm. or uh, studied the violin and played in an orchestra. Yes that there, your experience is an active experience of learning this repertoire from the inside out. And you know, like with any instrument, you have to practice it hours and hours a day, and that, so you're immersed in that. Oh, and it's also, it's social, right? If you're playing in an orchestra, you're working with other people who share this experience. Listening is, to recordings is usually a fairly private experience. So I think that meant that for me, 
you might say I wasn't socialized in classical music. So, so you're discovering classical music in high sure. school, right. and you're exploring it essentially on your own. Right, and I'm starting to compose and do things. So, are you still playing the guitar? Still playing still the guitar. Are you playing Absolutely. in bands, sure. right? And you're making sure. your money. Okay, That's good. Right. So, are you composing on the guitar? Sometimes I also uh, picked up the piano. Uh, just was, on my own, on yes, my own. Right, um, because you could already play. Right, right. So, so I was... I and you, know, you can read jazz, music, right? right. Oh, course, oh, you play yeah. jazz, I right. played jazz, and then I... Um, so I, I would, I would uh, compose pieces that I could play or, or with a group that I would have. But, okay, I started, so, but I also wrote choral compositions that, you know, my choir, the choir at school would, would perform. Really? And, yeah. Okay, and the kinds of pieces that you're writing, they're not rock or roll and they're not no, jazz. No, because they're coming out of what I'm of What you're hearing, right. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So it is, as you say, a unique way to come to classical music. Yeah. And are you thinking at this point that you want to study it? Oh, for sure. Okay, yeah, and there's no question. what instrument yeah. do you want to study at all? Well, I think I, once I started composing, I, I wanted that to be the focus. I'm working primarily in jazz, but I'm, I'm also doing, yeah. exploring things. Like, you know, some of these accidents, such as uh, I happen to have a friend who, when I was in high school, he was already at the university, and he was a musician, music major. And uh, we played together, but he would always introduce me to things. So, 12-tone technique. He kind of <laughs> showed me some basic things to do, and I got interested in that. And without hit that contact with him, you know, there are so many things I, I wouldn't have learned about. Uh, also, through him, and because he played in the jazz band there, uh, the UT jazz band would read my band arrangements wow. and so forth. So I, I really had a lot so you, of... So you were, you were composing and you were arranging? Yeah. By 16? Yeah, 16. Yeah, for sure. I graduated from high school when I was 17. So right. Yeah, this is 15, 16. Right, right. so you're already... Yeah. Okay, so are you thinking music is my career? Oh, sure. Yeah, I, ne I never thought of another possibility. You have, if you're going to be a professional musician, you have to be on that path pretty much when you're a child or an early adolescent. Right. So you might be making, in, in a sense, committing to a path or making a decision for your life before, before, you, know, before you know much about life. Well, before, before you're thinking of making a decision. That's right. That's the decision right. essentially is, in, right. is it's intrinsic. That's right. Right? That's yeah, right. right. That's wow. Right. So that's what you're saying happened to you. Yeah, that was well that, that certainly was what uh, what was going on is that there was no question that I was that I was going to go. I mean, it's why I went to a conservatory as opposed right. to going to a university or to uh, a liberal arts college. Right. Like what that. would have been the point? Right. Exactly. Right. I okay. was like all music all the time. So, where do you go? I went to um, University of Cincinnati College Conservatory of Music. And you majored your major composition. was composition. Not playing. No, no composition. So when I asked you, you said you were thinking of being a player, but when you go to the conservatory, you're thinking of being a composer. You know, I think at that point, going to the conservatory was, this was the point at which my socialization in music shifted, uh, shifted dramatically. Yeah. Because you go to a conservatory, and while there are people who play jazz, it's mostly not jazz, right? And all everyone there has been playing music forever, and oh, so so in one in one sense, uh, going to the conservatory was fabulous because it was like, oh, you are all well, like me. Mm -hmm. This is great. But I started um, having some 
some doubt when I was, even when I was a first year student. The summer before I went to the conservatory, I had a job playing music in the evening, so I had all day to do what I wanted. And I thought, you know, I don't know, I don't know enough about music history. I don't know enough about all this stuff. I really need to bone up on this before I get there. So I'm, before school. Before school, right. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. So, about anxiety. Right. so I'm, I'm reading all this stuff, you know, and, and, um, and then I get to the conservatory and uh, I found that um, I didn't have to work very hard to get all A's and, and um, but I started to feel as a composer that something was, was wrong. And this was 1972, and it was fairly common, I think, in colleges and universities at that point. If you're studying composition, it needs to be uh, something atonal, it needs to be... Oh yeah, it has to know, be on the edge. On the edge, right. right. And on the one hand, I won awards for my compositions and I was getting all this praise, but what I knew was that even though I was able to do that, um, I really didn't have the foundations in more traditional classical composition. Uh, yeah, right. And it was not something that seemed to matter to them. No, because you could do this other thing. Because I could thing. do this other thing. Right. So I left school. Wow. And I spent uh, about five years working my way through sort of the history of music stylistically and composing. On your own? On my own. Records? Like, no, just, you know, oh, books and things. But, and I wasn't completely cut off from, from other people, but I wasn't in school. Basically, I gave myself the foundations that I felt that I needed. And when I went back to finish up my degree, I mean, it was, I was a completely different composer, completely different technique and uh, command. I was working at a used bookstore where I could, I worked mostly in the late afternoon and evening so I could do my, my other thing during wow. the day. Wow. So what it says to me is that this was a calling. Yeah, I mean, I guess I, I felt like if I were a painter mm -hmm. and I was being praised for doing abstract expressionist painting, but I couldn't draw photographically there'd be something fraudulent about that. And I think I was very interested in Willem de Kooning. I looked at a book once of, of his drawings, and it's, it is so clear that he had a perfect technique. Yeah, that he could do it. <laughs> he could, right, exactly. And if this was going to be my life, so what if I take some time to do this right? I, I, just, I just felt like I was being kind of pushed through this, this system at the conservatory, and it wasn't really to my advantage to do that. I suspect that a lot of people would have been really happy just to have the technique without the background, mm -hmm. and would not have had this point of view, which is that there's a foundation I don't have. Right. So this is a philosophical position, and it isn't a typical philosophical position. Forgive me, but I think mm -hmm. as a culture, we don't have that. As a culture, we are more about the quicker I can do it, the better, and never mind the foundation. No, I think, I think you're right. Sure. So where do you think you got this? You know, maybe it's because the composers whom I admired clearly had those foundations. Mm -hmm. And I wanted as much depth as possible, let's put it that way. I was not interested in, you know, being able to do something that was praised, but that's all I really could do. It just wasn't interesting. Really interesting because it doesn't sound like 
anybody said this to you that this was no a, they you even know, tried to talk you out of it <laughs> out of it they would say no your pieces you know you know it's, it's i would say look you said that was perfect you know it can't be perfect there has to be you no know, but it really in a way it is perfect and or they say oh it's really beautiful that you're really concerned about this how nice how nice it's <laughs> right? beautiful you're so cool that's great yeah um yeah but, but, but it isn't necessary no, right no. yeah i just i just wanted to make this point because i i do think that it's un unique i think it's unusual and and of course um, your ability, I mean, it isn't only that, that as a culture we're more interested in facile than depth, mm -hmm. um, but that you were, that, that you had the long view, mm -hmm. that it was all right to take five years. Yeah, scared to, my parents to death. That was my question. <laughs> that was exactly my that question. scared them to right. death. That's why I asked right. if you were living at home, because I'm wondering no. what are your parents thinking? No, You're working they're, in a used bookstore? For five years. Exactly. Yeah. Yes, yeah. but you did. It's fascinating yeah. because it speaks to the depth, mm -hmm. excuse the use of the word, of your commitment to this thing and your willingness. You were a young man. Yeah. And most young men would be in a hurry, but you were not. Yeah. Well, I think also, I, another, here's another uh, visual art uh, model, uh, Paul Clay. Mm -hmm. uh, he did something very similar, I think over a period of three years, you know, this is what led him to be Paul Clay that we, you know, yeah, know. Right. But he essentially decided to completely reinvent his technique. And I think, I forget how old he was when he was doing this. I think he was in his 20s. He was married, his wife supported them. He first focused on drawing and online, and you know, he had a very uh, almost scientific approach to things. He really wanted to understand uh, possibilities and explore something systematically. He worked for a long time just on uh, drawing and then only later then introduced color. Wow. And even when he introduced color, he's again approaching it very systematically. And I guess I saw this, um, those examples of you know Clay and de Kooning and Schoenberg and these folks, they all were, their originality came from the fact that they totally had mastered what had come before them. Yes. And to me, it seemed like that that was the only uh, way to go. Yeah. What's the, anything less than that would be facile in your cheating. words. Cheating. But, but <laughs> be, it would be cheating and it, it wouldn't be very satisfying. So I, I figured, um, you know, talent may be uh, distributed unequally throughout people, but you can ask, you can do your very best. Yeah. So that was my way of doing my very best. So it sounds like your interest was in becoming the musician you wanted to be. Correct. Correct. Not in making a living or being successful or whatever those other things are. That was pretty are. idealistic. Well, idealistic. I'm, not, I'm not saying that. Yeah. I'm saying it's quite unusual, right? And, and I'm asking, was yeah, that accurate? Sure. Yeah, I think that that was, uh, that was very much uh, the case. Now, what what's interesting is during these years when I'm not in college, when I'm working on my own in this bookstore, uh, remember I've been at a conservatory, which is, it's almost like a like Votech mm -hmm, right, because it's, yeah, right. it's like just music all the right. time. You have to, yeah, you do some freshman English. Yeah, you right, do that. right. Maybe right. you take a language, but for the yeah, most right. part, everything is music. So I would say that um, 
you know, my knowledge of Western culture and literature and philosophy was very limited. During those years, I was reading very widely. <laughs> You're in a bookstore. And, I'm, and I started reading the New York Times every day. And, and I'd always been interested in politics, uh, having grown up uh, much of the time in the South, mm. during the point where the civil rights movement is going on. So I always felt deeply about that. But so again, um, music is something that I basically committed to when I was you know, seven or eight. Yeah, right. Um, so here I go back, I finish my degree, I have a recital, I have all this music played and so forth, everything is great. But I'm, I'm um, not sure if I want to go on to graduate school. I'm also interested maybe in, in politics. I become a political organizer for three years, my late 20s, because do I affirm this decision to be a musician or do more of the political work? Or am I in the real world? Right. <laughs> and I decided that um, I was a capable uh, political organizer, but there were other people who could probably do that better. But there were very few uh, musicians and composers who were very concerned about politics. So I, where I went to graduate school at the University of Illinois is where I was studying with someone who also shared that interest. A politically? A poli well, an interest in how music connects to society, both as a reflection of it, but also as input to society. So uh, from the time that I'm 30 uh, to today, my primary interest is how music helps to shape society, how it is shaped by society, how we can experience music on multiple levels, you know, as sound, but also as something that signifies political or social ideas. Yeah, so I went to graduate school. I did that lickety-split. I got a master's and a doctorate in uh, composition at the University of Illinois. And what's really funny is that, you know, I started my undergraduate degree in 1972, uh, but then didn't actually finish that degree until 1983. <laughs> I started at the University of Illinois in 1985, and I had finished, I finished my master's in a year, I did all the coursework and everything for my doctorate in the next two years. Like, so within three years of starting graduate school, I have a, a job at New College and uh, then finished my doctorate. So, how did you get the job at New, New College? Everyone who's a graduate student uh, at UI um, has an advisor in the graduate placement center, so someone who's out there trying to find positions that you might be right. for. And so, my advisor sent me a letter from the chair of the humanities division at New College, um, talking about a position in music. They want someone who's a composer, but who could also who also know some music history and so forth. And she wrote on the letter, this job would be perfect for you. But I, my wife at that time was interested in moving to California. I threw it away. Oh my God. Seriously. Then about three weeks later, the chair of the composition department uh, at UI uh, asked to meet with me. And to make a long story short, um, at, U, at uh, New College, they weren't really happy with the applicants they were getting. So I was recommended. So. <laughs> You said, oh, well. I said, how, I said well, much? if you're going to ask me to apply, I'll do that. So I applied, and I got the job. And uh, I came here in 1998, and I've been here ever since. The universe. It was, it was right? pretty interesting. Right. It was pretty interesting. It wanted you here. Yeah. Well, right. and, and, uh, and New College is very attuned to my own uh, way of thinking. People tend to pursue a more facile approach, like, well, how can I get through this quickly? At New College... We don't have grades. It's, everything's with the narrative evaluation. We stress genuine mastery 
mm-hmm. over just simply collecting credits. Oh, this is you. Were, she so, was right. <laughs> exactly. So this was absolutely perfect. So and so the students who come to New College come because they want that. Right. So you know you're teaching students who are really looking for depth. And uh, so I, yeah, so I've I've loved it. It's just been a, it's just been great. So talk to me about new music. About new music, new college. Yes. Yeah. In part two of my interview with Stephen, you will hear him describe the creation of new music, new college, and his philosophy about the way in which music can influence behavior, and about the way his philosophy has influenced the kind of compositions he writes and how those compositions do affect behavior. So as always, I hope you got something from this show that you can use. Something that encouraged you to ask yourself, am I all that I really am? And something that will bring you back, because I will be back with the second part of Stephen's interview. And I sure hope you will be back as well. You see, I'm getting older. My hair is turning gray. Always in my face and figure I've both seen better days. Well, I won't be retiring, I won't slip out of sight. No, I will not go gentle into that good night. I may not be as juicy, hell, but I 
still got some tang So you won't hear me simper I may have gotten limper But I won't go with a whimper I'm going with a bang
Um, so new music, new college, um, really started in 1998. So this is our 20th anniversary wow. year. Um, it started uh, in a way by accident. Um, the Ringley Museum, uh, which you know is right next door to New College, uh, they had a, they were presenting a um, an exhibition of sculptures by Joseph Boyce, and one of the curators there knew that I had a strong background with music by John Cage. Cage and Boyce were friends. He said, "Could you do something in the galleries with John Cage?" So. Um, so some students and people from the community and I presented um, an hour-long performance of John Cage's songbooks, which um, these are, you know, solos that are some of which would are would seem like conventional music, but many of them are performance pieces and um, uh, electronically processed and so forth. But um, what we did is we we uh, there were uh, five soloists. And um, we organized uh, a performance in which each of the five soloists uh, performed an hour-long recital simultaneously. Tell them going on in different rooms. Well, um, we had, we, I had um, analyzed the exhibition, the voice exhibition thematically, and had chosen had pieces, found uh, parallels or or resonance with the cage and so uh, the each person who had their solos they would go to different points in the in the galleries right where that piece would have some kind of play um, and sometimes they would be silent because uh, we use chance procedures as cage involved requires you know to determine the lengths of various things um, but what this did is it meant uh, that the audience um, there wasn't a strict division between the performer's space and the audience space. The performers could, uh, the audience could follow one performer around, as it's he or she sang, um, or they could uh, stay in one location and have people check come out what's them, happening. Right, right? Or they could chart their own course. They could even come, leave, and come back. Mm -hmm. And. Um, so that was, and over the course of an hour, what we found was that the audience gradually realized that they were also part of the performance. Performance, oh, right. And so you saw this kind of consciousness developing. Um, and we learned, one of the things we learned from that that I think um, is one of the reasons why it led to New Music New College is that um, we learned from that experience that um, it's very important to try to uh, match uh, a presentational structure with a compositional or aesthetic structure. So Cage's music, you know, is indeterminate, uses chance. Um, it's if you perform the songbooks in an auditorium where everyone's sitting in their seats facing the same direction, mm -hmm. you're taking indeterminate music. <laughs> and putting it in a highly determined space. Mm -hmm. And people think that they don't like the music, but part of what they don't like is, is the dissonance wrong? between the two. But yeah. they don't necessarily know that that's what it is. They just feel trapped. But what we found is um, that when we perform the, when we release the audience, mm -hmm. basically experience it more as the piece is composed, they really loved it. And um, it was a big hit. 
And um, uh, Ina Schnell, who has been one of Sarasota's uh, foremost supporters of all art contemporary, um, uh, approached me uh, some weeks later. She was trying to get a new festival going on the Edge Festival and so forth. And, and it was clear that she thought what we were doing was really important. We went back to the Ringling Museum for another uh, performance uh, with an exhibition the following spring, where again, we were performing in the galleries and the music that we performed um, had resonance with the works that were being done. And then I, um, we gave other performances over a period of years, usually one or two a year with students. A lot of it was experimental music. And then uh, we started the five concert series that we still have in 2006 um, because I was doing experimental music with students but there's a lot of there's much more to contemporary music than experimental music so we would invite we would bring in guest artists three times a year to offer both the students and our the community a much broader uh, uh, swath if you will of contemporary music and we the students are usually prepared to do something in kind of early November, right? Mm -hmm. Certainly not in September or October, right, right. early November. And usually sometime in February after the um, January break break, and where they're doing independent projects that are immersive and so forth. So we bring in guest artists in the early fall, in January, and in April. Mm -hmm. um, and we've been doing that since 2006. Um, but the experimental, uh, the shift towards experimental music, which in one sense, when you think about how Everything that I did was preparing <laughs> yep. you know, with this grounding tradition. Now, I, my students are all grounded in tradition. I mean, we don't just do experimental music. I mean, they all do the same kind of thing that I asked, that I forced myself to do. But what I realized when, after I came to New College, for the first couple of, first several years, um, you know, here I, was, I came from this high-powered doctoral program, and my music was being played by these virtuoso performers elsewhere. But I had students who were not yeah. conservatory students. These were really, really smart students, but they weren't necessarily trained musically to do the kind of thing that I that was you were doing. writing. Exactly. <laughs> but experimental music, music by Cage, and, and, uh, and eventually my music, and music of other composers, um, offered the kind of intellectual and um, uh, aesthetic pleasure uh, of exploration. They would try anything. It's a challenge. It's a challenge but they were so open-minded, and they could be very, very disciplined. Mm -hmm. So um, experimental music uh, really became the focus for me, and that's, now it's, it's definitely what, what I do. So it's kind of ironic you know, that um, I went through all of this <laughs> extra emphasis on tradition, but I think that part of what one learns from that is that uh, not only is tradition fluid, um, but that um, uh, we, we make a mistake when we uh, treat the traditions as um, either static or as being, uh, as having this ultimate value, like, you know, the, what we love, Mozart, Mozart was great, wonderful, I love Mozart, love Beethoven, love Brahms, all of that. But um, the whole tradition or the, the whole um, uh, uh, character of Western art, not just Western music, but Western visual art, is um, uh, increasing, what I would you call it, increased uh, reflexivity. That is, um, style changes in part because 
people become aware of other possibilities and they begin to want to explore those possibilities. So we have a notion of style and of tradition that is artificially static. It never really was static, but it's always changing. And um, so the image that I offer students sometimes is um, the image of Penelope from, uh, from the Odyssey, you know, that Penelope's left, left back, you know. Yes, right. And, and she's, um, she's all these suitors who yes, pursue right. her and right. She's, what, is she weaving? She's weaving. Right, right. right. But, no, but the way she keeps the suitors at bay is she weaves something, yeah. weaves the garment in the day, but then she unweaves it. She unweaves it. it. She never finishes. She never finishes it. Right. So what I tell students is that that's the kind of spirit that you need to uh, cultivate about music, that you you learn the tradition, but you also learn to unweave that as well. You 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 need to do both. You can't get so it's it's that's to me so that to me that's this idea of of um, the paradox uh, that um, that we both know and don't know at the same time. Well, that and that you don't end. Right. You know, and right. I imagine that that is challenging for a lot of people. Well, but you know, it's. That it doesn't it's, resolve. That's true. Well, <laughs> you know? but life doesn't either. No, you know? and I'm thinking while you're talking, well, yes, but, but I think, I'll take this out, I'm a therapist, the psychotherapist, uh, okay. I mean, right? Yeah, yeah. People are looking for it to resolve, and they're yeah. desperate for Good it luck. to resolve, and that. a lot right. of it, right, right. But, but still, while you're talking, I'm thinking about jazz, mm-hmm. which oh, is, sure. is the Absolutely. quintessential example Absolutely. of what you're talking about, Absolutely. right? Absolutely, yeah. You have but, the basic, but you keep changing it. You can keep improving it. Well, right? and um, actually, uh, there is a psychoanalytic tradition that I'm very, very interested in, that, and it certainly has a lot of. Uh, I've been influenced by in my own work, uh, which is optic relations. So uh-huh. Donald Winnicott, mm-hmm. yes. Mary Milner. Yeah, of course, you would be out there on the edge. Right. Well, right? but but the the emphasis on on the role of play, mm-hmm. um, the idea of the potential space. Um, and um, uh, and well, a holding environment. So when you say that could be kind of stressful, not having things resolved. One of the things that we try to do with New Music New College um, is to um, think of every performance um, as a, a complete experience. Right? That yes, music is the focus of it. But uh, just like with that example from John Cage, um, it, you can present the music in a way that uh, that can be that can um, lead to a memorable, lead to an immersion in the music and a memorable experience, a transformational experience. Yes. Or you can present it in such a way that nothing happens. Right. Right. So we're always asking, um, how can we? What's the best way for us to frame? this particular work that we're performing or this particular performance how can we um what what kind of tensions are created and how can we account for those in the way that we present so an example of this and this is pretty much typical of new music new college so schoenberg's pierre lunaire um which uh you know one of the great works of the 20th century and um it's usually performed these days as a concert work with a conductor and the ensemble on the stage and so forth. But um, it actually has some connections to cabaret. 
<laughs> and um, so we brought in the DeCapo chamber players and Lucy Shelton, and these are people who have performed this piece countless times over you know, 20 years. And they don't use a conductor. So we staged it as cabaret, and we take our conference center at New College, Sudikoff Conference Center, and we convert it into Club Sudikoff. Because <laughs> we bring in circular tables, and we you know, have tablecloths and a little you know, fake <laughs> candle, and we have food and drink and so wow. forth. And, um, and so and we have lighting, and we had the subtitles and all that kind of stuff. Um, and the audience responded to this tremendously. Now, they. It was a great performance, that's true. But one of the things that happens when you use that kind of the circular tables is that, well, A, you're, many, you're sending a lot of signals that of this course, is more every, relaxed. Of course, everybody's expectations are different. Right, because, you know, if you want to get up and get a glass of wine, you can do that. That's not a problem. But it's also that you, the audience, um, they have a more interaction with each other. Right? They see how each other are responding. They can make eye contact with each other more readily. They can even you know, maybe whisper something as an aside and you know, it's not disruptive. So um, in a sense, what we were trying to do was both serve the Schoenberg, but also to counter some of the aspects of performance that often uh, make that work more difficult to enjoy. So the audience went crazy. They, they loved it. So um, we, we always are thinking about presentation. And another reason for that is that, um, kind of gets back into recordings, uh, most of us today, particularly as the younger you get, the more this is the case, experience music overwhelmingly through digital media. Right. Right. Um, going to live performances, even for people who enjoy them, it still constitutes a very small percentage of the way that they encounter music. So it's, it's not only that uh, for many people, the experience of going to a concert is less and less familiar, but they have a whole other experience that feels natural to yeah, them. Yeah, that tells them what that being should be. Being able to create a playlist, be able to, re to right. change things, being right. able to decide when you want to start, when you want, and doing it on your own, and doing it when you're out you know, in, in right. the midst yeah. of other people. Right. So what we think of is, uh, is not even framing musical performances, but we think of it as reframing. There's the frame of digital media is now so uh, so powerful. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm not trying to no, no. I understand you're criticize. not judging. I'm just it. saying right. it right. is, but it is the way that people experience music. So that means that live performance, just simply being together and not having access to your device, um, and you know, and then added to it, music that's unfamiliar. Um, that can create a certain amount of anxiety. So one thing we do is that we, uh, our concerts are always about an hour, almost never more. We try to really control that. We never have an intermission. We always have food and drink afterwards. But the idea is that it's, it's sort of like a, a, a psychotherapeutic session. Mm -hmm. If you, because you know that this is only going to be 45 minutes, right. you can handle the, the anxieties yes. and the oh, you know it, but if you thought well we're going to keep talking today yes for, until <laughs> until I say we're done, done. Right, you know, right, right, go right. crazy you wouldn't right, be able to right. do it so we do have some consistent rules like that that means that the audience knows uh, that they're not going to be subjected to you know a two-hour concert and um, and. Uh, the people who come to our concerts, uh, whether they're from the campus or off campus, 
um, come, I think, because they're interested in, uh, they've come to trust us, basically, that, um, that because we think about framing and, and all this, that we're really thinking about their experience. And I'll mention something else that we do that I think is, we've learned a lot from this. Um, a couple of days before every concert, we have what's called uh, an artist conversation. Now, an artist conversation in most, for most new music groups uh, is, is pretty predictable. You know, this guest person is introduced. They talk. Right, right. And they're telling you why this is important. Yeah, and right. they're telling you technically why, yeah, this, right, why right. you should really yeah, like this. You, know, you right, should respect right. it. Um, and maybe they play a little bit. And then, they, and then as it gets towards the end, they say, so, any you questions? questions? Right. No. Nothing. Right. Right. <laughs> right. So we've reversed that. Um, we introduced the musicians just briefly. They play five to ten minutes of music. They don't speak until the audience has spoken about their experience of that music. And, oh they, my and we encourage goodness. them to use metaphors, to use whatever, you know, what did they notice as they were listening to that? And then, and invariably, the audience ha has observations that are non-technical, but that stimulate a wonderful conversation with the, uh, with the guests. And what I tell the audience is that, um, the musicians need your input because professional musicians at this level, they understand this work almost in a microscopic kind of way. They're this close to it. What they don't get, what they can't get now, is someone's experience of this that's fresh, that's new. Um, so we're, if there's going to be there's going to be mutual learning, but it really has to start with your experience of the music. And so what happens then is that. All, without exception, the musicians learn something yes. and really have a valuable experience. But it creates a, it's a dialogical uh, experience and it, it, it's, it's characteristic of New Music New College as a whole that we're interested in not only sort of the cutting edge, but how do we, as you know, people who are not specialists, how do we experience that and what does, how, how can we, if music is a question more than, if it's more of a verb than a, than a noun, and it's not clear what it is, and it's open, there are many, many ways of approaching it. How do we explore those possibilities together where it's more about experience than about expert knowledge? Wow. Okay, so that's, and that, that's very, that just seems to work, let's put it that way. It seems to work for, for the audience, um, because instead of being told, you know, you should like this because here's how the structure works and it's very, very clever. It's more of the, you know, well, it's, it's sort of like um, uh, with architecture, uh, the important thing is to experience the space. Yeah, if you, I guess if you can know, um, you know, from an engineering standpoint, right, right. how it was structured, but all of that is really about creating an experience. Well, that's, that's what, what it's really, supposed to that's be. That's what it's right, supposed right, to be right, about. Right, right. Exactly. Right. Exactly. And what I'm thinking is it empowers the audience. Yeah. Right? Sure. It tells the audience that uh, that that they are a significant part of this of of what's going on here. Yes. That right. it cannot be done without them. Absolutely. It's not just that someone is performing for them and that right. they are receiving it, right. but that their input is essential to the experience. That's right. That's right. Right. Yeah. It's wonderful. The experts need them 
as yes, much as they, they need the experts. Right. And, that's, that's, and maybe more. And maybe and more. And maybe more. Well, because it, we, this is how um, the musicians are rescued from isolation, in a way. Yes. You know, they really do need it. But it's, it's interesting. It doesn't... It's, the people who perform and the music we present, a lot of people would say, you know, this is really far out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hold on. I, I want to get to... So, I, what I hear is that the, when you were talking about your interest in politics mm -hmm. and your interest in what it sounds, sounded like, when one is a political organizer, right. one is, um, one wants to have an impact mm -hmm. on how people think and what people do, right? right? And it is not, I think, although you may disagree, a common, um, uh, it, is, it is not common for uh, musicians, serious musicians, <laughs> musicians for whom the music is paramount in their life, to be thinking about the impact that their music might have on the way people think or behave. Mm -hmm. But you do, right? Yeah. Yeah, right. I I think it's I think it's not common. Well, I think it's it's been New College has been uh, the kind of place um, where well that 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 fosters interdisciplinary thinking. Um, if I had gone, if I had been hired at a more traditional institution, I I don't think I would have developed. In exactly this way. No, I think that's probably right. There, w this is a place that allowed for this. Right, and yeah. has and really has been very supportive. Yeah, but um, but but just because the place allowed. <laughs> I know, I know, I, know. <laughs> I have a bent. Yes, exactly. Well, I, I, I want to show you. I want to play something for you, um, just because the way you were putting something just now. Uh, is really captures what I try to do in my own music because mm -hmm. you were saying uh, that you know, it's one thing to be interested in politics and you know, music and so forth but um, for that to become experiential or to have some impact on behavior or, or whatever um, I have found experimental music uh, to be a wonderful um, way to um, get people to uh, to experience certain kinds of social dynamics mm. so a lot of the pieces I write uh, are sort of like games um, I write um, verbal instructions for these games they involve sound usually vocal um, but I'm always working with uh, the sound but um, as experiential metaphor, okay, so mm -hmm. that as people are playing the games, they are actually experiencing the work on two levels. They're experiencing it as sound, they're thinking about the decisions they're making in, as, as singers, um, but they're also experiencing it as a social process. So that the, the pleasure of, of uh, performing or 
playing one of these games, or collaborating, collaborating is that um, that you get to experience these things deeply on two different levels. So um, a piece that uh, that I wrote some some years ago for just for a theater performance that involved only seven people. I now I found I can do this with large numbers of people, like 50, 60 people can do this. So um, the piece is called, and I have just two little brief excerpts I can show you about this, but the piece is called Pitch Chess. And it's really pretty simple, because uh, game, games like this have to be simple yeah. or they don't work. So, um, so let's say that this laptop is uh, the available performance space, a stage maybe, or a room. Mm-hmm. Um, People have to imagine that there's a, a line that runs through the center of it that we refer to as a center line. And, um, and everyone who's gonna participate is gonna stand on that line at first. And we're gonna agree on a pitch that will be the center line pitch. It has to be um, low enough that the men can sing it and high enough that the women can sing it. So, um, but, it, but we're, we're gonna sing that pitch and that establishes the center. Um, and then we understand that uh, movement towards this wall, uh, pitch gets higher, and pitch gets lower towards the other wall. Um, and so then um, at, when people are ready, they can step off the line and they can sing a new pitch. Now, if if someone steps off the line clearly this way, they're clearly going to sing a higher pitch. Um, but if so, another person steps off the line and maybe steps here, they're going to sing a higher pitch than the center line, but, but a no, lower pitch. Right. Exactly. No, right, right? So um, people are, in a sense, constraining each other by their choices. Right. But now the other thing is that the line, that center line pitch, it doesn't have to be sung constantly. But it, it has to be kept fresh. In the head. Right. And so, um, in a sense, the piece becomes uh, sort of a metaphor about individual agency. You're able to move off the line. You can do your own thing. But you have to be mindful right. of who's maintaining the center line. Does someone need to be relieved on the center line? Should you go back to the center line and allow that person to, step to go off. out? So this idea of autonomy and responsibility is what people are kind of experimenting with this. And then there are other rules that have to do with um, uh, like uh, walking on an imaginary grid and some of these things. But the basic idea, though, is that um, you know, there are some very simple rules that people can immediately learn. And, um, and then they play with that because the rules are clear and it's constantly changing because you know someone else is going to leave and then you have to rethink about the harmony. So this harmony is always kind of... This and that, that is the other question. I, that's the question I have. The pitches always have to be harmonic? They, they always have to be in harmony? No. No, be whatever people want to do. But again, you have like... So what I'm going to show you is um, two, like... 20 second, 30 second examples excerpts. Of and this, this is an example. And this was from, sorry, here. Okay. 
so this was uh, from a workshop that I led at Millsaps College in Jackson, Mississippi. Now all these people, um, they're students or maybe faculty, they're not singers necessarily. And I actually, I, I really prefer, even though I'm fine working with professionals, but part of what I really love about this is that you don't have to be a trained musician to right. do this. Right. So, um, so, I even, I think I marked with tape the line. Mm -hmm. Sometimes people will, so this is more towards the end. <laughs> so, so, and, uh, so in, it's so interesting because within the context of the rules, yeah. People can be themselves. Oh yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. They can be and, right. And, and you know, and no, you don't really have to come off the line. No, if you can stay. If you're comfortable staying on the line, you can hold and the line, can, as they say, right? And you can come off the line. In other words, you can subtract from the center line pitch, right? And just come out and move on the grid and not sing at all. Um, so, and because if you move off the line, you've subtracted at least one voice from that. So you can have that kind of of effect. But what's What's interesting too is that people are discovering the possibilities yes. uh, that are endless, obviously, but they're discovering um, how to play the game. Like that, the, the young woman at the end who, like, yes. she wants to sing this big pitch, so she steps out in the front of everybody so she can sing that not not pitch. Um, I did this, led this at the New Music Gathering. It's a national thing uh, in where was it? I guess it was in. Uh, I don't think it matters. Doesn't matter. Right. Anyway, but two women kind of got into a little diva struggle, <laughs> like, like one would sing this high pitch, and another would move it a little head. <laughs> so, but what's interesting is all this stuff becomes somewhat self-regulating because of course. If, if you get too lost in that, you know, then you're not paying attention to what's going on back here. So the the harmony is going to always change, and um, and then at the end, the, the way the ending works out is that um, when someone feels like the piece should end. They feel the impulse for it to end. They start to form a diagonal relationship to the line, and then other people, when they agree that it's, they want to end, gradually they sort of join in this diagonal line. So eventually, you're, there's a subtraction of singers until finally everyone is on a, is on the diagonal, and, and the piece is over. It's silent and so forth. But that's something that the group essentially decides on their own. Somebody can hold out if they really right, want to. Right. So. I mean, I'm not the only person who has written pieces like this. Um, I've been very, very influenced by people like Pauline Oliveros and Car Cornelius Cardew, but um, this is something that uh, I find extremely uh, gratifying. Yeah. I love the fact that that it's it's almost anonymous. It's almost like, you know, um, this isn't, uh, there's something expressive here for me, but it's really these people who are. No, they're creating. I've it. created a structure, right? Some game, some rules, and um, 
and then they activate that they realize that and they have their experience and they people almost always talk about you know how much how much they enjoy doing it so it's a different kind of music uh, but for me it's very much tied up with social experience psychological experience yeah it's subliminal learning exactly i so know it's, so it's all, know, right. so it's all about right, right, so right. so it's and course, i mean these people are changed by this but they right. didn't mean to that's right, <laughs> right. that's exactly they, right yeah, yeah that, that, right. they didn't go into start no into that it. wasn't part of their agenda right um, and they weren't asked to be and it um, wasn't um revealing in no no right. and it was uh it was in their interest right right it right. was in their interest right. it, it was it was benevolent. Yeah. Right. And they didn't have to do it. Correct. Right. Not compulsory. That's not right. Involved. That's right. Yeah. I'm I'm assuming somebody could walk off. Oh sure. Right. Yeah. I mean, and that's the thing is absolutely. that it's right. Yeah, and so the control. the people who stay, they are changed by it. Yeah. Right. And it's also for me, it's not really important or even desirable that there's an audience. I I would kind of like it if people who learn this. Just get together and do it, do it because it's, yeah, it's right, fun right. to lovely. do. It's lovely. Um, but it is a it's it's psychological, it's social, oh, it's yeah. musical, it's, it's all those things. It's political. I know it is. So because, for me, this uh, is the end of a long. This is sort of where things have been going for a very long yeah. time. And um, yeah, this is the um, result. It's not the word I want. The culmination mm -hmm, of mm -hmm. everything that yeah. you have ever thought, studied, took a long time. At. But there it is. <laughs> but. I, you don't want to diminish it. No, not no, at you all. You don't want to do that at all. No, no. No, it's wonderful. I mean, not not everybody can say that about their life. Yeah. That their life has a through line, and yeah. that it, and that they honor it, and yeah, that's wonderful. Yeah. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna slow this down, but um, sure. Uh, this is your twentieth year. Yes. And are you having an event? Well, I brought. Um, if you haven't seen, so we're having. Um, yeah, five five programs. Actually, five programs. One of them is is done uh, three times. Um, but um, we're going to start open in um, on October fourth with so percussion. And do, do you mean it's October sixth? Uh, I'm sorry, I was looking at the wrong one. Yeah, it's it's October sixth. Okay. Good. Yeah, I was looking at. Oh, I that see. Day. Right, right, yeah, right. October sixth. Yeah. Um, and so percussion, they're going to be in Club Sudikoff, you know, right with a circular table. Yes, 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 yes. Um, and uh, they are, we've wanted to bring them in for a long time. They're really considered probably the most innovative, one of the most innovative ensembles uh, working today. Um, so they're going to start the season. Then in uh, November, uh, we'll have an, an evening uh, or an hour of, uh, a lot of it will be electronic and digital music. Uh, this guy, Mark Danzigers, um, uh, he is now, he's their first uh, professor of digital media and music. He's starting this year. Um, and so we wanted to focus, kind of give a showcase of uh -huh. his work. And students will be involved with that, um, with using their laptops and, and things. Then in January, uh, we have a group from Chicago ensemble down Yente and with George Lewis. George Lewis is a MacArthur genius Hello. fellow. Mm -hmm. um, he is a composer, um, and uh, we've had a, a long-standing relationship with him. Uh, then Eliza Ladd, whom I think I you, interviewed. Had, you interviewed yeah, her, right? right. Mm -hmm. So she's going to be creating a work with students that will be done in February. 
Um, and she did something with our students uh, three years ago, I guess, that was that was really phenomenal. And I love her. She's mm-hmm. great. We're very simpatico. You I'm know. Sure. Yeah, yeah, you can see. <laughs> I can see it. Yes, I can. Right. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's clear. It's right. clear. Not a surprise. So, yeah. Right. So, so we're, we, I really, uh, our students love her. Mm-hmm. You know, and she's at the Oslo Conservatory, which is next door. So right. we're easy collaborators. And then the final uh, performance will be in, um, in April uh, with... Wedding Ensemble, Kate Soper's Voices from the Killing Jar. Kate Soper uh, was a finalist for the Pulitzer Prize in music two years ago um, for a piece that, in fact, she performed at New Music New College uh, before it was entirely finished. And uh, so this was actually her doctoral uh, piece that she wrote at Columbia, but it's getting, we wanted to kind of revive it. It's, it's, a, it's a, a piece in which um, she takes text from literature uh, the Voices of Women, and uh, it's about, uh, in a certain sense, their social and psychological predicaments. A killing jar, mm. you know, it's scientists use, like with a butterfly, you put them in a killing jar and it kills them without damaging yes, their body. Right, right. So she's using that as a metaphor for wow. social experience. Um, so that's our, that's our, our season uh, for this year. Okay, so, um, okay, I have one more question I want to ask you. And it is, having spent a life immersed in music and using music in new and old ways, Mm -hmm. would you say anything about what that's like or what you think about it? Well, I, I guess I would, um, I, I feel very grateful that um, I've had enough support in my life. First of all, my parents were always supportive of me in music, and I've learned as a professor at New College that not everyone's parents no kidding. are supportive of students studying music, and I understand the reasons for that. But I was very fortunate that they were always supportive of my being a musician, and and even uh, being a, an unusual musician, mm-hmm. they, they were supportive of that. So that was that was critical. Um, being able to go to the University of Illinois, where I could study with someone who shared my interests in music and, and all things social, was important. But I think coming to New College was um, I had no idea how important that was going to be, and um, the, it's very satisfying at this point. Uh, to see that everything that I've wanted and everything that I've cared about in my life eventually could get integrated. And I've, I've, I've told this to students before. I've said, you know, it may not happen right away, but if you love it and it's really important to you, it's going to find a way to come out in some way. And so for me, um, the, the kind of music, you know, that I was just playing for you, um, to be able to, to use all of my um, abilities. In and a, in, curiosities, curiosities and interests right, in and, and sensibilities way, and all that stuff, right. In way uh, is just great. And, and New College um, has just been the perfect place uh, for me to, to grow. Because it's not like at New College, uh, you're hired and you're in a slot and you know, the, this is who you are and, and, if, and once you're not that, we want somebody who is that, right? It's more, 
um, you know, we're hiring you, and yes, you will have to teach certain courses, but you choose the courses. You know, there's no, we don't even have a curriculum committee at New College. My goodness. It's really an extraordinary place. So I think that coming to New College where um, there was such an openness and a, an interest, curiosity, um, and again, and students. And permission. Yes, and students who would try anything and colleagues who are interested. Um, and then in the Sarasota community, mm -hmm. um, there are people who, uh, who are really just loyal um, supporters. Um, there's a, a couple, actually the, the wife died uh, a year and a half ago, but his name is Bernie Friedland, uh, Bernie and Shirley. And she, he's 90. Mm -hmm. and, uh, but they would come to everything, experimental everything, totally enthusiastic. Um, and I asked them once, um, you know, how did you develop when this, this uh, passion for contemporary art and all this? And Shirley told me, she said, well, when, when we retired in our 70s, we decided to devote the rest of our lives to new experiences. Oh, God. Like, who are they? Who are they? And where well, did they come from? Well, you know, but, but that, when I tell this to my students, mm -hmm. I said, you know, you want to talk, learn how to be a person. Right. These people know how to be a person. That's right. That's really, really something. Yeah. So, anyway, so I've been, I feel like I've been given lots of great opportunities, um, and I've had fun people to play with, and I had a good, have a good marriage, and she's really like, totally supportive of contemporary music and of what I do, so... I've had a, a good time. And a that's really a good time. Perfect place to stop. Yeah, right. <laughs> I've had a very good time. <laughs>